This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, December 4th, 2008. I'm Caleb Brown. An incoming Democratic administration now will contend with trouble on both sides of Pakistan. The attacks in India throw a huge wrench into President-elect Obama's plans for a regional approach to stabilizing Pakistan. Malou Innocent, a foreign policy analyst at the Cato Institute, offers her thoughts. President Bush and Condoleezza Rice uh, must play damage control within the region and try and uh, mitigate against the possibility of these countries, uh, again, going uh, sort of going to war with one another. Um, the biggest problem for uh, U.S. policy within the region would be the possibility if Pakistan moves its forces uh, from the western tribal areas bordering Afghanistan and move them toward the eastern border with India. This would relieve pressure on uh, Taliban and al-Qaeda militants operating in the tribal areas and could have a direct impact impact on uh, the stability operations uh, within Afghanistan. And so going forward, what the United States must try and do is something similar to what it did in 2001, 2002, after uh, ISI had uh, links to uh, another uh, terrorist attack within New Delhi after a year when uh, both India and Pakistan amassed uh, troops along their international border. Luckily, no hostilities ensued after that year, um, but we want to try and, again, uh, mitigate against the possibility of that, of any sort of uh, spiraling conflict happening in the near future. You've described uh, U.S. exerting influence in Pakistan as a toxic embrace. How does the United States exert influence on both sides of uh, Pakistan uh, without appearing to do so? Well, that's an interesting question because I think that President-elect Barack Obama has said that he wants to institute sort of a, a broader regional approach to stabilizing Afghanistan, and that approach would require dialogue with both uh, New Delhi and with Islamabad. Uh, this throws a huge wrench into uh, Barack Obama's plan to do so because any sort of uh, a rapprochement between Pakistan and India would require a resolution over Kashmir. Now, uh, the peace talks that have been going on between Pakistan and India over Kashmir uh, is now at a stalemate, uh, given the recent attacks. Um, I think what the United States can do, again, is sort of some sort of diplomatic surge within the region. But not only is Pakistan um, plagued with this uh, Islamist uh, violence, we also have to think that India itself is now um, a central cause of concern given the global war on terror, because India, domestically speaking, has 154 million Muslims. That's the third most populous Muslim state behind Indonesia and Pakistan. So India is uh, has most to lose, arguably, from the war on terror and uh, jihadist militancy than almost any other country, uh, given the uh, intercommunal violence that's been happening over the past several years between uh, Hindu majority and the Muslim underclass. We might see not only an aggravation on Pakistan-India relations, but also an increase in intercommunal violence. So again, trying to uh, reach some sort of uh, regional uh, uh, resolution to this will be difficult, and this is going to be an extremely daunting undertaking for the first year of uh, Barack Obama's presidency. Does a new Democratic administration at all sort of change any assumptions on the part of, of those two countries about how the United States will uh, treat them? Well, what's interesting is that throughout the Cold War and now this current so-called war on terror, whenever relation, U.S. relations with one country improves, relations with the other one declines. And this is not only true now, but it's always been the case. And so what it appears to be the case now, at least, uh, especially given the war on terror, is that we've had this increased emphasis on Pakistan. And it's not necessarily at the expense of India, uh, but 
sort of towing a line between the two countries is sort of uh, a problem that we're reaching now in the sense of how do we get both countries to sort of de-escalate and not um, uh, sort of engage in any sort of not only conflict, but uh, decrease in hostilities. For the past several years, there's, there's been relative calm in bilateral India-Pakistan relations. They've been trying to forge um, some sort of resolution over Kashmir. Uh, but given the, these recent assaults on Mumbai, it doesn't appear that the peace talks over Kashmir will gain any sort of traction, at least in the near future. How much confidence uh, should people put in the idea that uh, the Pakistani government had anything to do with the attacks? Well, what's interesting is that uh, given the level of uh, pre-operational surveillance and planning and the coordination and also the atypical targets that were involved, the Jewish Shabbat house being one example, um, it points to an external uh, jihadist link uh, to, from uh, the Mumbai terrorist attacks and to uh, transnational elements. Uh, right now, U.S. and India, uh, Indian officials are saying that Lashkari Taiba, uh, Pakistan-based uh, Kashmiri militant group, uh, was most likely responsible for these attacks. This group was founded in 1989 by Pakistan's ISI, Inter-Services Intelligence Agency, as a means of um, harming India's influence over Kashmir. And since 9-11, the relationship between ISI and these various jihadi groups has been very murky, uh, despite Musharraf, uh, President Musharraf, the former President Musharraf, I should say, um, uh, pledged to uh, be loyal to the United States and be a friend in the war on terror, uh, various elements within the ISI and within Pakistan's own security forces have still had relations with uh, these jihadi groups offering support and turning a blind eye to their operations, not only vis-a-vis uh, -vis Afghanistan, but also vis-a-vis -vis India. And given the fact that many of the more hawkish elements within Pakistan's ISI still views India as an existential threat, uh, they want to keep these jihadi groups sort of on the back burner um, in case another rivalry occurs that they can actually use these proxies um, to, again, uh, to tie down Indian forces within Kashmir. So uh, the civilian government, at least within Islamabad, wants to cooperate uh, with New Delhi and Washington. It remains to be seen whether uh, they, those, the civilian leaders can rein in those, those more hawkish elements within the ISI and the security forces. When the United States tries to navigate relationships with each of these countries, India represents a, a growing economic power, uh, but Pakistan and its essentially weak government may revive itself as a source of terrorism around the world. I think there's a conflict between America's uh, short-term interests within the region and its long-term interests in the region. Right now, the United States is heavily dependent on Pakistan. However, I think in the long term, what I see is U.S. policymakers uh, leaning more towards India in the long term, given the fact that it is the world's largest democracy. It's a burgeoning economic powerhouse. Uh, in the future, uh, many defense officials believe that India can act as a balance to China. And so you put all these things into the India category, in the Pakistan category, you have a radicalized, destabilized, Muslim-majority nuclear power. So honestly, in the long term, what is the United States looking for and who is it looking for in its long-term interests? It appears that the United States may seem see limited long-term utility in a long-term alliance with Pakistan. And for, for many Pakistanis, obviously, that's very troubling. But um, it remains to be seen uh, how the United States will shift its emphasis in the, in the medium term uh, between this, again, this burgeoning rising superpower on one hand and a very uh, a volatile uh, country on the other hand. Malou Innocent is a foreign policy analyst at the Cato Institute. You can read more of her work at Cato.org.